Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there. Welcome to the show. It's brought to you in association with West Yorkshire Electrical. Do the sales pitch, Michael. They do. Um, electric vehicle charges. Yep. Do you know what I know? Because you're getting one put in, aren't so you? I'm getting one put in. Right. On Monday. By them. Yes. I thought it wouldn't be a great advert if it was by someone else, would it? <laughs> no, it really wouldn't. I've got, I've got you, another business. Are you paying for it? I am paying for oh, it, yes. Good. Good, good price, though. Good lad. New lease for Tondo. Special price for me, but a good price for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Yes. Excellent. Um, battery storage, electrical vehicle charging, specialising renewable technologies, the West Yorkshire Electrical, but do all the usual regular stuff as well. School contracts, CCTV for home and business, LED lighting design and installation, no less. I might have that next week. Right, yeah. You're going for the full range of yeah. services because there are a wide range of I just services. Get one of, I just have for one of each, I think. Yeah. One a, one a week for the rest of the year is what I'm going to have put in. Yes. Fully accredited, of course, West Yorkshire Electrical. If it's got wires in it, they will work with it and they cover the whole of Yorkshire and beyond. Wyelectrical.co.uk for details. Search West Yorkshire Electrical on your socials. Finance available for work on your home and business as well. And into it then. And we are recording Thursday morning. This will come out uh, Friday. Phil, so we'll all be looking forward to Huddersfield by the time this comes out, but we are in here fresh from the experience of Stoke. Should we just talk about Huddersfield? Not a bad idea. There was a point last night where I was thinking, get some players on off the bench, just win this, and then we can pretend that the game never happened, which would have been... Grind it out. Grind it out. Grind it out. Grind it out. There were points last night where I was sitting thinking, this just isn't a very good game, is it? Um, It's not great all round, not great on either side. Oh, it was it was so there to be won, and Leeds got so much wrong last night. It was strange, really. I, I would I think I would put that down as worst defeat of the season. In as much as I don't think they really played at any point, I don't think they really got going. It was better when there were changes in the second half, but starting lineup didn't seem right or didn't seem to work. The penalty was the penalty, and I imagine that's going to take up a good twenty minutes of this podcast. And the goal was the goal, which um, was a little bit like the goal at Norwich was. Um, Nobody covering themselves in glory, which I think was pretty much the story of the night. Yes. Fine margins, a game of fine margins. It's it's the classic snatching... Two, no, it was a good two-foot over. <laughs> <laughs> I could say, it was a classic snatching defeat from the jaws of victory performance, wasn't it, in the end? Even though it was a grind. If you take the performance out of it, we came close, didn't we? That was that was the thing. That was the, that was the point we landed on the match ball. Actually, despite everything, we came close to taking the points there. I found myself writing that if... Um, if you don't knock Leeds out when you have the chance, and this was true of Norwich at the weekend, then the chances are that they will chin you at some point. And that's how it felt like it was going to go last night when when the penalty was given away. And 
I, I still think away at Southampton, had it not got so far away from Leeds and, and had it not gone 3-0, if they kept it to 2-0, I think it would have got nervous for um, Southampton in a bigger way. I think you might have seen similar circumstances to what we had at, at Carroll Road. But it's it's absolutely classic football, isn't it? You've got a, a penalty with 10, 15 minutes to go or, or big, big chance that you don't take. And then Stoke get a little bit of energy from somewhere, which they, they seem to have lost by that point. There wasn't much coming from the crowd they had become far more defensive than, than they'd been for, for a lot of the rest of the game. But you just get that feeling that there's something in it for you suddenly. And again, it was it was a very, very similar goal to um, the goal conceded at Norwich, near post header. Nothing strike could have done about it, but but not well defended. And it was a, it was a bad night all round and just a night where nothing nothing went right. It's funny, isn't it? Our, our different responses to that penalty. Uh, we were chatting last night on, uh, on WhatsApp after we got home, Michael, and you were like, annoying yourself by watching the penalty miss over and over again. Whereas I said, I will never watch a single second of footage from that game ever again in my life. I will just pretend it never happened now. Whereas you were properly leaning into it. I went further as well. I went, I was watching his previous penalty misses. <laughs> I've from, been doing the same and this from morning. multiple angles as well. I was watching crowd cam footage of him missing against Arsenal and going, oh, the thing is there's an atmosphere in the crowd because I wanted to almost capture a little bit of that because I'd seen a clip from behind the goal last night and as Bamford's picking up the ball, people are turning round and putting their hands on the head and doing that. And I know it's a slight universal football thing that you go, oh God, there's a lot of pressure on this. Having celebrated it being given, we now might not score it. But it's more than that because he doesn't score this very often. And there's a, almost an inevitability about him missing it as there was against Newcastle in that game. Because I think the things Bamford does does well, he does... Uh, if you, oh, you can hear the drilling's just commenced. That's them building our panic room downstairs, by the way. <laughs> long, long overdue, yeah. yeah. It should be done about 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but Bamford does movement very well, and his pressing is good, but the things that I wouldn't trust him at are the, finishing. The, the sort of strikery things. sort of finishing yeah. and moments of extreme pressure. And he seems to also have this thing of constantly wanting to prove people wrong, and in doing so, tends to just prove them right. Like, the amount of times he's, he's scored a goal and seems to have cupped his ears or given it a little talky hand gestures to the crowd or something like that. It feels like he's he's in this constant cycle of trying to prove people wrong. But he can't do it because he doesn't score penalties and he doesn't play enough football otherwise to do it. So maybe he just needs to ignore that and get on with the game sometimes and let Somerville or someone else take that penalty. Yeah, we were just saying before we came in to start recording, Phil, weren't we, that I was, I was trying to think of something new to say this morning because we were in here, like, you know, under 12 hours ago saying much the same things. And I started thinking about Bamford because I saw your article as well. You kind of led off on the whole Bamford discussion. And I was thinking it's difficult to see a way back for for him from, from an emotional perspective now because the crowd almost feels like, not like he's shot, but I, I just wonder what he would have to do to gain the affections of the crowd again. And I mean it from a sympathetic point of view as well. It's like I don't want Bamford hounding out by any stretch of the imagination. I see it on a more far more human level these days that he's a, you know, he's a, he's a bloke as well he's, uh, as a footballer. And we've... Perhaps they need to treat him a little bit more humanly at times. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's hard to know how he, not redeems himself, but how does he put himself back in the good books properly with Leeds fans? Well, I, th- I think to pick up on that point, first of all, it's particularly difficult because at the moment you're not playing Bamford, are you? If you're picking your team and you're picking your strongest 11, you, you're getting rooted into the team, you're getting Piro in the team. There's a, a chance that Bamford won't start many games this season. There's a chance that he won't get a, a huge number of minutes and therefore won't score too many goals. So when it comes to redemption or redeeming something like that last night it becomes more difficult because I think it's safe to assume that at the weekend against Huddersfield it will be the, the Ruta and Pirro combination again 
Michael basically got this in one, I think, and there is a lot to to pick apart with this. Um, it's funny you saying that you were watching back previous penalties because I did the same this morning before I came in. And I was looking at the, the variation between the last three that he's missed. So against Arsenal, you had the low, really low hit with a fair amount of power past the post. And then against Newcastle, it was a kind of softer penalty in mid-height, that thing they always say with goalkeepers, good height to save, and, um, and Nick Pope did. And then last night, it was proper foot through the ball, going high, trying to rattle it into the top corner or, or roof of the net. And there doesn't seem to be any real strategy with this. There doesn't seem to be any clear thought process of what he's going to do or, or how it's, it's going to be done. My feeling last night, and I've seen this before, was that the confidence that's shown in grabbing the ball and insisting that he's going to take the penalty doesn't seem to be in any way matched by the confidence of the, the finishing, which, which becomes a problem. And when you look at the finishes that he's missed, you do start to, it It looks a bit like hit and hope, which to be quite honest is how it feels as well. A few people said to me last night, particularly on Twitter, I knew he was going to miss when he, he went for the ball. I didn't know he was going to miss, but the first thing I did think was, if he does miss, then this is going to dominate everything um, and this is all going to start up again, um, which obviously it, it has. And, you know, Farker was talking afterwards, he said, people miss penalties, that's football, That's that's how it goes. But, I sort of asked him, given that he's missed the last two and given what happened, particularly after Newcastle, you were talking about the human aspect to this. And it was definitely the case after Newcastle that what went on crossed the line between criticism and intimidation. You know, the, the abuse and, and the, the, the were, were threats, some of it was online, some of it was in person. It, it's that usual, usual thing that seems to happen a lot with football where it gets out of hand in, in a way that, that it shouldn't. But because of that, it meant that in any circumstances like that, like last night, there's massive pressure on him, but also massive scrutiny. And Michael talking about the atmosphere in the crowd, that's what happens because people do start to get it into their head that there's a likelihood he'll miss. I mean, his record at Leeds is 10 penalties taken, five missed. That is really average, a really average finishing rate. And on that basis alone, you would think, well, you would probably be looking towards somebody else to take them. And there are plenty of other players at Leeds who can take them. I mean, clearly from what Farker said last night, Pirro is designated for penalties and Pirro was off the pitch because the, the substitutions had been made by that point so that complicated things but you did have Somerville saying to Strike I want to take this can I have the ball to which nothing happened You know, well, so Strike, can I just check was Strike the captain at that point yeah right. um, or at least I'm, I, do you know what I haven't actually looked back to see if he still had the armband but I assume he would have been yeah I don't think that would have changed right because there's an interesting dynamic there isn't there is, is Strike as a younger man going to pull rank on Bamford who's been is, there longer and has more seniority is I think a very fair question yeah, yeah and, and in those circumstances as well heat of the moment where you have to decide instantly what do you do perhaps a more experienced captain is able to think clearly that but perhaps Strike genuinely thought Bamford would finish but it does take a fair pair of kahunas to say, you know, I'm going to intervene here and say to Bamford, you're not having this. I'm giving it to this, you know, 21-year-old winger who, full of confidence, I think you could probably say that there's a, a cocky edge to Somerville, which would give you, you, I think, a fair amount of confidence that he's going to score with it. And given the way he played at Norwich at the weekend, it might have been the, the sensible sensible move. So Pirro should have been the designated taker, wasn't on the pitch. And in those circumstances, there didn't seem to be a clear direction of what was, was going to happen next. Um, when I, you know, when I asked Farker the question about that and said, is he not under too much pressure? You know, is it not too much of a risk because of everything going around it? He kind of said, well, maybe, and, and was pretty honest in admitting that it won't be Bamford who takes the next penalty realistically. You know, it'll be somebody else. And I think it just surprised me that given what had gone on with Bamford after the Newcastle game, the abuse and everything else, and 
given that there was this, it never really came to this and it never got to the point where anybody thought this would happen. There was a little bit of a debate about, is he done here? You know, does he need to move on? Is it best for everybody? Is it in everybody's interests? You know, do him a favour as much as anything that, that there's a, a partner of ways. Given that there wasn't, it surprised me that that didn't come up in conversation through the summer, you know, and that there wasn't a, wasn't a bit of a directive to him to say, when, when we get penalties, help yourself by leaving it to somebody else. There are plenty of other players who can take this. Don't put yourself in the firing line with it. And I think the, the basic problem with it is that there is this confidence in going for the ball and taking it. There is not the conviction in the, the finishing. And I don't really see much way in which he can take them again in future. I think part of the issue with Bamford as well is that his just general lack of goals and the other misses that happened towards the end of last season are still right at the front of everyone's mind. So he did score a couple towards the end of last season, but they were in a 5-1 and a 4-1 defeat. So you, it, mentally you go, well, they don't count. That waste of time. He scored against Brighton, which was March. I actually look back, the last time he scored in a Leeds win in the league was May 2021. It's a hell of a long time since we've seen what could be considered a meaningful goal from him. I think you have to add the context of the injuries that he's had because it's not as if he's been playing regularly and you know game after game for the past couple of years. It's been quite the opposite. He's been injured a lot um, and, and it, it clearly hasn't helped. But you're right. I mean, the, I think last night you couldn't help feeling that the last kind of meaningful um, impact that he'd had at Leeds had been the missed penalty against Newcastle and now here was a, another one being missed and there was the chance against Leicester as well, I did that train spotting piece that night, and um, I never wrote this, which really annoyed me with hindsight. But that chance was like um, was like Begbie with the black ball over the pocket. You know, it's there; you just have to touch it, and and it's in. And and that is like that's the way in which the frustration's built. It must, to a degree, I would assume, be creating a bit of a complex in Bamford's head as well. You know, the fact that you're not scoring much and you are missing chances like that, and you're going for penalties but you're not burying them, and and it's you know that then creates the narrative and it's all around you and you can't, can't get away from, from it. I, there's an easy way to solve that problem, which is get somebody else to take them. And if it's not Pirro and Pirro's not on the pitch, work out a proper hierarchy of, of who is good at them, who can take them, who's reliable. You know, it doesn't have to be Pirro. There must be others there who are, who are decent um, from 12 yards as well. But I think the bigger picture with Bamford is that for a long time now, he's needed to, he's needed to have more of an impact than he has because as time goes on, People just start to ask more and more, what are we actually getting from this? Yeah, the credit in the bank kind of ebbs, ebbs away, doesn't it, over time? It, it and, does. And, and just to, to make another point on that, if you look at the team last night, of the outfield players, in fact, take the whole 11, because you can add Melier into this. Melier only started games towards the end of the promotion season um, because Casilla had his, his racism ban. Um, Melier obviously went on to become first choice. It's not as if he wasn't in the team on, on merit. But had Casilla not been banned, I don't think Melier would have um, would have started the league game that season. Strike started a handful, um, and I mean a handful, um, in uh, that promotion year. So we've comprehensively reached the point where Leeds have moved on from that squad. Not entirely, there's still people in, in the team but um, and, and, or in the dressing room, but the lineup that's being used is now predominantly made up of players who have come, come since. So what was there 2019-20 and you know, potentially the following season, you could say as well, it's just not the same now as it was and I think that is kind of the point is that there is this process of moving on from that period and you, you, you are getting diminishing returns from players who in that season it can't be denied were big players Final thought on Bamford is that there's a bit of a paradox there isn't there in that if he gives up the chance to take the penalty and passes it on to somebody else there is a suggestion there that he's he's admitting he's not up to it so I guess this is the point at which you kind of want somebody to 
almost staging intervention and somebody, probably Farker or, or one of his coaches saying, no, I need to save you from yourself and give this to somebody else. Yeah. Not, not everybody's good at penalties. Some strikers, some very good finishers are, are not brilliant. Beckford was never a fantastic penalty taker. He could be very hit and miss. I always remember him missing the penalty against Millwall in the playoff um, second leg at Ellen Road. And Grayson asked after, because I, I don't know if you remember, but Leeds under Grayson had a huge problem with penalties. He used to miss them regularly. And it was it was kind of movable feast as to who was taking them. In the end, it ended up being Bradley Johnson, who they considered to be the best. But there would be circumstances in which, again, Johnson was either injured, not playing, or, or taken taken off the pitch. Which I should say, um, by the way, I remember Bradley Johnson's shooting in general. Well, yeah. Which um, wasn't necessarily I mean, the most accurate, is what I would say. What I would say is that, that roof of the South stand took a pepper in. Yeah, but, but then to counter that, I think the goal against Arsenal is probably the sweetest <laughs> left foot hit you've ever seen. And the most clock, per- though. Stop the clock. most perfectly placed finish right into top corner. Yeah, potentially. Um, but I remember Grayson saying afterwards, this week... Beckford has been practicing penalties all week. Every single one is stuck in the top corner without fail. You know, powerful direction, perfect aim, spot on. And then we come to the game, and he goes low, he goes soft. David Ford saves it, and you're you're left there sitting thinking, why have you done that? But the reason that you've done that is because it's sudden pressure. It's at totally different circumstances to being at Thorpe Arch, where you can just run, you know, get a bag of balls and just run through penalty after penalty after penalty, and it does do certain things to you. And I think a lot is made of Harry Kane as an example, his penalty technique and, and his consistency in scoring is not because penalties are easy, it's because he does it well and yeah. it, because it's a, a strength of his. And I don't think it's fair to say that every single striker should be good at penalties. You see quite, I mean, Cleek used to take a lot of penalties for Leeds from midfield. So I know what you mean. It looks a bit defeatist, Bamford saying, I don't want this. But surely there does come a point at which for the greater good... You, you kind of see the woods for the trees. Just on penalties more broadly, we do have a bad record with them, don't we? I'm not I'm not wrong on this. I feel like Bamford's missed a few, Pablo definitely missed a couple, and on the other side of it, I don't remember us ever saving any. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Melier and Casilla have never saved a penalty in a game. Melier has saved one, um, I believe it was against West Ham, but West Ham scored on the rebound. Okay. Um, I was looking back at that, because I've always had it in my head that, that Melier has never... I don't know if it's fair to say never been good at saving penalties because it depends on how good the penalties themselves are. But it's never had Saves a record. loads in training, apparently. Well, very, very possibly. Um, but it's never had a record of saving lots of them. And in comparison to other clubs, I, I don't think Leeds' record would would jump out as being outstanding, put it that way. But you know the way in which supporters always think that their injury record is worse than everybody else's and their transfers always take longer to do than everybody else's and are always more messy than everybody else's. It might well be the same with penalties, but I don't think you're far wrong. I think you've got a bit of a recency bias here because I'm on the fantastic lufcdata.com and that website has a uh, a page for penalties. And the last three have been missed, so I'm working backwards mm. here, uh, have been missed, saved, saved. Um, prior to that, Rodrigo scored against Bournemouth. Rodrigo Rafinha had decent runs. Yeah, I was going to say, but the, the misses are all Patrick Bamford as, uh, as well. So yeah, we've, we've missed... Four out, or not scored four out of the last five, which is possibly colouring your view. But we scored one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven on the bounce prior to that. Which when did Pablo miss them? There were definitely there were definitely I, I some costly that, championship misses I, from, from. I remember him Pablo. missing against Reading. Yeah, so he missed um, against uh, Wigan at home. Oh God! In eighteen nineteen, that was saved. That one. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then prior to that, Bamford missed against Millwall at home. That was saved. Uh, Pablo. We, we did win that game, though. Saved against Reading. Yeah, there, there have been a couple. But prior to that, again, you know, Chris Wood scored a load. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been probably about average, I guess. I don't know what the overall headline figure is. We also had a massive period without getting one, didn't we? I'm sure we went 60 games or yeah, something without getting was, a penalty. It was absolutely ridiculous, um, that length of time. It might actually, was it the possibly the the Pablo Redding one that broke that run. I can't remember um, exactly now. But yeah, you, you, I mean, you'd have to spend many, many weeks cutting through every single club's um, data to see if Leeds are, are worse than anybody else. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think of Leeds as being outstanding when it comes to, to penalties. But if Pirro had been on the pitch last night, he takes it, he probably scores. And you, you don't have this debate. But as I say, that was, that was my first reaction when Bamford took the ball, was if he misses this, it will... You know, it will all just begin again. <laughs> and apologies for the noise, which you must be picking this up in the, in the recording I mean, as well. It's, it's fully shaking our feet. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's right underneath. Like this. we said, that panic room won't build itself, <laughs> will it? Uh, yeah. XG on penalties, we should say, is it's about 0.76, isn't it? So it's, you should be scoring three out of every four. So if it's a 50% hit rate, it's not up to, it's not, up it's to not snuff, great. is it? Uh, objectively, though, that was not the only thing going on last night. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it was massively decisive and and it did make a huge difference rotation Phil let's talk about that actually yeah yeah because we because we said the one to watch when we did Monday's show was about the rotation and would it work you said and what's your answer to that did it work no I don't think it did no Um, I mean demonstrably on the basis of the result but also on on the the way that that Leeds played the reasons I I didn't expect Farker to change I think it, not necessarily as much as he did. I think I didn't expect him to change in the positions that he did necessarily. Although he was saying afterwards that an injury that Somerville picked up a while back is still bothering him, so he can't do three games a week and is needing painkillers um, to to get through them. And he also said he was a bit concerned about the amount of football Kamara had had um, in the international break, so he brought Gruev in. Archie Gray. Well, there is Archie Gray who is you know, you know is, the amount of football he had in the yeah, international he's break. Through a, 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 Part of me sort of thinking it might be a good idea to get Ealing back in there on Saturday, just because this is pretty short turnaround from Stoke to early kickoff against Huddersfield. Um, I think to go back to the Archie Gray conversation we were having, the fact that it is Gray after time after time after time tells you that that's who at the moment Farker wants there. I don't doubt that he wants Jed Spence in there, but Spence still seems to be a two or three weeks away. Um, he did give the impression on Tuesday, Farker, that he would play Gruev. It seemed to me the game at Stoke was a lesson for Gruev that if you think you're going to get an extra yard of space to use in the championship or if you think you're going to get a couple of extra seconds to work with, then you're absolutely not. And that's irrespective of the quality because last night's game was low on on quality. But it was, you know, the tempo and the pace of it was was intense because it just always is. You, you're not going to get space to, to spread the ball about. I mean... One of the things with Calvin Phillips, he was very good at that, but Leeds played in a way that just gave them so much territory and so much possession and made teams back off. You know, teams were reluctant to press, whereas Stoke got on top of Leeds for for a lot of the game last night, certainly the the first hour. Anthony in the first half, the ball just seemed to be getting away from him constantly. It was very weird, like watching it. It just didn't seem to be any touch there. And he did find kind of find himself early in the second half um, in a way that almost made a difference in a tiny, tiny little spell of the game, but you felt like when the substitutions came... You can see it in his he, body language, he was kicking, yeah, it was, his, kicking it, his heels, wasn't yeah, he? It was, it, yeah. was, it, was, it was starting to annoy himself, I think, that it just wasn't wasn't quite happening. Nonto didn't really make a difference last night. It was, yeah, the, the changes didn't didn't pay off. 
with regards to those two, it took all the all the direct running and the speed went out of the side when you took out Somerville and James and put those two in out wide, didn't you? Because Nonto wasn't beating the man in the same way that that sort of raw pace can do in the championship. And, and Anthony is a good player and he can beat players on the outside. We've seen it in games previously. But like you say, just com- his touch completely deserted him last night. So you, you took out a, that double threat of James and Somerville, both yeah, of them were in form. I think so. I could see early on that there was... Um... There were opportunities to play Nonto in behind Stokes' left back to get down on, into their um, their left left channel, left wing, um, which Archie Gray did find him once. A couple of other chances that that Leeds um, didn't make anything of, but it was very noticeable. I thought before half time with Anthony that he wasn't playing out wide at all. He wasn't he wasn't getting any width beyond the halfway line. He was constantly having to come inside. He was constantly having to to cut into to try and find possession or to to get on the ball. It just didn't particularly work. Um, the, the midfield platform of Ampadu and Gruev. I thought Ampadu played well actually last night again. I thought it was was pretty solid, um, but as a pairing, didn't quite quite give them enough. Do you think that was down to Gruev then chucking him in a little bit too early, wrong fixture or whatever? I don't know about wrong fixture, but definitely a dif- uh, difficult fixture. It is only one game. I did put this to Farka a few weeks back about whether Gruev of all the signings would need the most acclim- acclimatization time, even though Kamara's come down from Rangers. You still think of him as having kind of British experience, if that makes sense. And and a lot of the players who Leeds recruited over the summer have either played in the Championship already or have been around the English league. So you you kind of make the assumption, not always fairly, but you you do make the assumption that that they're suited to it and they're they're ready to it. Gruev, who clearly a good footballer, I mean, having played for Bulgaria and played in the Bundesliga, um, it's coming from Germany, and there's no doubt if you watch the Bundesliga and watch the Championship that the way in which the leagues operate, the, the pace of the game structure of the game it is different and it does take a, a bit of getting used to and I can imagine that even if you think of yourself as a Bundesliga player getting thrown into that last night where you have players all over you where you have no time on the ball will be a bit of a bit of a culture shock so it's very difficult to draw conclusions about Gruev at this stage but he need to play better than that last night yeah. Was he being asked to play a bit further forward than we maybe expect because I, I thought he would probably be the player to come in when Ampadu was, was out but I don't know. I don't know if he was if he's maybe not used to receiving the ball in those areas quite so much because he did look a little bit uncomfortable at points. That was certainly the structure. He did seem to be further further forward um, than Ampadu. I mean, I think when Ampadu's on the pitch, he's always going to be playing in that kind of holding deeper role, taking the ball from from the centre backs and, and Melier behind him. But watching the way that Stoke followed Gruev, it made it really difficult for him to get into space to take the ball in an area where he could really do anything with it um, or, or make a difference to the game. I think he was a little bit lost in that midfield I don't doubt at all that he will play play better but that was a difficult start for him bit of a broader question now then about first half performances and maybe not coming out the blocks as as well as we would like do you think there's a, a little bit of a trend of that or it's happening on occasions a little bit it's happening on occasions somebody in our office did message me last night because we always think about you know what's the kind of angle of the piece going to be and um Quite often that's a complete waste of time because the angle of the piece ends up being what happens 15 minutes to go where Bamford misses the penalty and you think, right, well, you know, we'll, we'll write about that. Um, I don't think there's a trend in the sense that you can say this is happening every single time. I mean, I know it was a, a little bit of a slow start against Millwall, but I think that was because Millwall just, you know, shot it straight out of the cannon from the off. And it was kind of first 10 minutes where they were thinking, let's wade into Leeds and see what happens. But actually Leeds were pretty good for most of that first half. Obviously played pretty well in the first half at Ipswich, did concede first, but you know had a decent amount of that game and, and were in good position at, at 3-1 up. But undoubtedly, didn't get hold of the game at Norwich, even though they had chances, didn't get a hold of the game at Southampton. 
Birmingham are sort of disregarded as part of the, the bigger picture. It's kind of there. I don't think it's there in a way where you can say this is an absolutely chronic problem. I suspect what's happening with corners will be starting to um, starting to, to strike Parker as a bit of an issue and something that that's going to have to be dealt with. I mean, put simply, I don't think you can you can keep conceding to near post headers over and over again. No. I'd prefer it if we didn't do that. Yes. Um, the, the 20 minute text has become a bit of a running theme yes. on this show. I keep forgetting, to be quite honest, you, even, though, even though I started it. So, yeah. the, the origin of this is that we've said many times now, you can normally sort of tell what sort of an evening it's going to be or an uh-huh. afternoon it's going to be after about 20 minutes. So, it's become a, a standing joke that you said you'd text me after 20 minutes and tell me exactly what's going to happen. But I never do. But you know, you're not, no, you've still never. not done it. Still not done Must be one. busy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I texted you last night at 8.22 yes. saying, 20-minute text, we must settle and score first. And you said, correct. The pressing has to be better. It's something of nothing so far. It was a bit betwixt and between. They were neither here nor there with it. So it wasn't like they were set up deep, but they weren't pressing so high and so aggressively that it was really putting much pressure on on Stoke. It did switch in the second half and Stoke did start to feel the pressure a little bit more, which I think was why the penalty miss was so crucial. It was a massive let-off for them and, and they and they knew it. But yeah, it, it felt it felt like that. Twenty minutes in, they just hadn't got into it at all, and actually by half time, hadn't really got into it either. The, the changes did make a difference, and I think the changes will probably be quite instructive for Fark when he starts to think about what he's going to do against Huddersfield this weekend. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. To Huddersfield then and the chance to put it right that's one of the good things about this relentless championship campaign although the fixtures do come thick and fast and I made the mistake of texting you in the run-up to this game saying I'm actually looking forward to match days coming around now Mm, and then they go and do that in Stoke Yeah, Uh, I should know better by now but you know live and learn and all that yeah but I am still looking forward to the weekend and the chance for the players to go out there and, and put it right 
and hopefully get another three points on the board uh, because there's a sort of there's a, there's a sort of nihilism descends upon Leeds fans does, uh, doesn't it when we lose like we did against Stoke that everything's wrong and there is almost a tendency to want to chuck the baby out with the bathwater and we just need to maybe oh, take a deep breath accept that sometimes this happens and go again not unique to Leeds no that, no no, no football think. football um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's with everybody's but I don't care about anybody else Phil no 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 absolutely <laughs> but it's not as if the rest of the game are totally rational yeah. and in Leeds people are completely unrealistic about what's going on it just I think particularly when you feel like you're building building impetus and you're starting to look like a good team it never feels great to kind of get done in the way that, that they did last night Huddersfield have had a weird season like properly weird season they've they started with Warnock um, they had the bit of that sort of face off between the new owner at Huddersfield and Warnock where it was all getting very public and a bit kind of personal about this result isn't good enough you didn't sign the players I wanted though you know back and forward they seem to almost get through that and then Warnock left. They've gone for Darren Moore, who is good manager, good bloke. It didn't seem great the way it all ended for him at, at Sheffield Wednesday after um, after him getting them out of League One. But they got absolutely rinsed by Cardiff um, on Tuesday, beaten, beaten 4-0. And I think the points tally isn't bad, actually, considering that it feels like it's been difficult for them so far. But I, I think they're in safer waters at the moment by virtue of the fact that the teams in the bottom three are making pretty heavy weather of it. Yeah, actually just looking at their fixtures, they'd only lost prior to the, the midweek fixture, they'd only lost one since the start of September. They'd actually done relatively all right. It was three out of the opening four that put them into trouble one, yeah, when Warnock was still there. it's a lot of draws for them as well. Yeah. Um, and you've said it before that to, to make progress in the table, that's not really really what you want. You're, you're almost as well losing a game, winning a game, losing a game winning the game, um, which is actually what Stoke have done. You know, their results have not been brilliant, but they've won a lot of fixtures or they've won enough fixtures, so they're, they're a good a good way clear. No argument over tickets either. We've got some reciprocal pricing for this one just about, yeah, which is obviously no, no bad thing. Um, I don't know if people know the background to that, but there was obviously the flare-up a couple of weeks ago where Huddersfield were saying, we asked for, you know, reciprocal pricing, Leeds wouldn't do, do it. Do we want to call him their loudmouth owner? Michael? <laughs> we can do, yeah. Do you, do you <laughs> want to fill? That's one of the more polite I'll things. leave that to you. It's your show. It's your show. It's your legal cost. Yeah. Um, they, what could be perceived as a loudmouth owner? <laughs> well, this season, um, the away tickets are 45 quid for Category B games at Ellen Road, £47 for Category A. And the reason for that is that they are also priced at that for adults. These are adult prices. For adults in the West End as a whole, and the EFL kind of dictate that you're not allowed to have variation in one area of the yeah. ground you can't have somebody in the, the West Ham paying 47 quid somebody else paying 20 pounds the exception for that is away tickets if the two clubs agree to reciprocal pricing whereby one team pays one price at uh, the away ground the other team pays exactly the same price at the other ground nice and simple Leeds have done it with most clubs at the moment not everybody um, Sheffield Wednesday didn't take that deal QPR didn't take that deal must be honest I don't know why in those circumstances but with Huddersfield, there was obviously the, the online chuntering on on that particular Friday about the fact that it was going to be 47 quid for, for Huddersfield. Huddersfield charged £25 for their adult tickets, a flat fee. They don't have any any categories over there. So what happened was that Huddersfield came to Leeds and said, well, why don't you just charge £25 um, and we'll charge £25 and then we've got reciprocal pricing. To which Leeds said, no, because there's no cost to you in that. You continue to charge full price. We reduce hours. So we're taking the hit you know that's that's why not so it went on over the weekend and then at the start of the following week everybody realised 
this doesn't make a lot of sense. So in the end, um, it was agreed that it'll be 20 quid for away adults um, at Ellen Road. It'll be 20 quid for away adults at um, still the John Smiths, the Gale Farm, the McAlpine, mm-hmm. that place. Uh, and there was peace, yeah, and some common sense. Yeah, imagine Unheard that. Unheard of, yeah. But what I'm glad is that everybody got into tweeting before the full story was known and put spin on it that suited their agenda. Yeah, game on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, who cares? Hopefully we beat them. <laughs> <laughs> we need to now, don't we, off the back of that. that? And this is another one of those little tests. It's like after the Southampton game, what do we do to respond yeah. to to a, a fairly underwhelming performance? And the fact that, and it's worth reiterating, mention it on the match ball, we still have not, have not won in a non-white kit since Brentford. This is going to be an athletic piece at some point, isn't it? I can I can hear you cooking it up already. Yeah, the cogs thinking, are turning, you know, I've yeah. just got to pick the point at which it actually looks like a thing as opposed to, um, I'll need to go back and have a look at how many games they've played in away kits and who it's been against and, and everything else. How, I'm interested to know how much you two are thinking about Leicester and Ipswich, who are not are not throwing it in at the moment at all. Ipswich got a really good win at Bristol City last night. Leicester are just being Leicester as they've been pretty much from from the start. I, I don't know how, like, how, how much have you got eyes on them. I said on the match ball on Wednesday night that I felt like it's probably skewing our view of the season and I what, totally we, agree. And what yeah. we need to do because Leicester are obviously running away with it at this point Ipswich just about hanging onto their coattails and then we obviously lose in the same week that Leicester wins so it, it broadens that gap some more I said on the match ball we we probably don't need to panic at this point we just need to run our own race and keep getting the points on the board and see where it takes us um, I suspect that's probably how they're viewing it internally, I would imagine. Yeah, because I think so. You've got to. You can. You can only control the controllables, and that's what what we do, isn't it? We we look after our own games and try and get the results in those. And if it takes us where we need to be, it takes us where we need to be. Were you looking at the Brian's Gun Twitter account? Did, no. He did a control the controllables oh, video this morning. Oh, so there you go. Oh, you just you've just done tremendous. it. I mean, my hope for Ipswich is that they. I'm just speaking football cliches. That's all it is. Their manager pinched at some point <laughs> this season. That was my that was my my thought last night. I thought. Maybe Bournemouth might fancy Every time him. there's a sacking in the Premier League, yeah. go on, just uh, like, maybe, down the road to Suffolk. Maybe yeah. get Palace get halfway through the season and think, ah, oh, we need to get rid of Roy again. Need a younger man in and the, the game. I mean, I do think Ipswich have just had such momentum, haven't they, coming into it. If they do hit a couple of injuries and then maybe a, a run of two or three games where they don't win, I can see that it might go off the rails for them a bit. I was going to say, of the, two, had... of the two of them, you'd expect maybe Ipswich to be the one to have the wobble at some point, yeah. wouldn't you? But I even think Leicester, Leicester, I think, have got enough quality in there and they should probably have not gone down in the first place should they so I mean they're, um, they're 14 points clear of thought that's massive gap like absolutely huge even even at this point I think McKenna you don't often see managers jumping from the championship to the Premier League I've never quite been sure why that is it seems in the Premier League they seem to be averse to the idea that coaches in the championship are worth having a punt on and I don't know maybe, maybe they're right but I'll, I have a feeling McKenna might be one who if he doesn't go up with Ipswich, going to box the trend there. I think there's probably quite a lot of a lot of appeal for Leeds. Twenty two points from thirteen games, I think, is is good considering what was going on in the first month of the season. It's it's decent. Um, it's not so far away from two points a game. It's not as if what's going on with Leicester never ever happens. I mean, they, you know, it is like record breaking territory. But Burnley were very good last season as well, and we're kind of on the way to the title from a a really early stage. So you can find in the championship that a team does get away from from everybody else. But it, I think Leeds will probably feel they've been slightly unlucky in that they've hit this season. They've managed to, okay, they got beat last night, but have managed to get some rhythm and get it together. And there are just two sides at, at the top of the table who are like ludicrously consistent at the moment. Unless there's seven concessions in 13 games is bonkers, really. Well, yeah. I am starting to get a bit concerned about, about how well 
they're doing is seeing how well we're playing in certain aspects this year. I'm thinking if we don't go up, then do we get to go again next year with Somerville and with Ruter, or do they leave? And then are we into drafting in a few new players there? And, and we've, I mean, we saw last night, I thought, when Anthony and Nonto came in, we didn't look as good, did we? No. So if if the second season down here, if it, if it happens, and I know we've, we're almost discounting the possibility of going up in the playoffs there, but there is a there is a, apparently a third spot available for a team that finishes, <laughs> well, that finishes in there. You know, when we were talking about Bamford earlier and I, and I started to just join all the different pieces together. I thought it's the playoff final leads have been awarded a penalty and up steps Patrick Bamford. Yeah. That, would, and that's probably the only way he could redeem himself, I guess. When it comes to players leaving, I would suggest that we panic about that in April or May rather yeah. than... I mean, I'm, I'm kind of... If, there's one, if there's one lesson I think I've learned from the last few years of supporting Leeds and how I've responded to it emotionally is... I just want to concentrate on the here and now and worry about the future in the future. You know, like you say, as we get towards the back end of the season, if we do look like not being in the automatics, then we worry about that afterwards. And even then, if we're in the playoff places, let's worry about that. That'll be a bigger concern for me than who leaves in the summer. Because we, we, we've always spent a lot of time looking two or three steps ahead, haven't we? So let's just concentrate on this step. I look, I look further ahead if it's something to worry about. Yeah, I know, I know you do. <laughs> it's what I tend to do. Something good, I'll tend to not look forward. But something to just panic deal with that when it comes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We just got to keep plugging away. I think this season and um, oh, and, and, this, keep, and, and keep in, your nerve in this division more than than any. You know, that's that, that's basically what it comes down to. Is just keep the games going, keep the games um, ticking over. I think it's it's very very possible to draw good conclusions about individual teams quite early on the way they play the tactics they use what's working what what isn't working when it comes to league position and results it becomes far more difficult because you don't there's so many variables you've got 24 teams in the league for a start so that's a lot of results every weekend that you have no real way of you, 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 know, you see the odds and everything else but no real way of predicting that I think the, the team that the best example of that at the moment are definitely Middlesbrough there was a, a lot of griping about not only Carrick but also about the recruitment up there and the players they'd lost who replaced them with were not good enough you know with were, were, um, potentially going to get relegated and they're, they're just winning game after game at the moment and are now already right back in the mix um, when it comes to comes to the top six they're ninth two points behind us yeah um, mm-hmm. and outside the playoffs on, on goal difference so it's not it. you can never sit in September and October and say this is how it's going to go. This is how it's going to finish. I think it's very possible to get relegated by the time the leaves fall. And I think you're probably looking at that with Sheffield Wednesday. Are you saying they might not recover this 11 points adrift? I, I think it might be slightly difficult. Um, <laughs> you know, as as much as um, as much as I definitely rate the new manager, I think he's got a I think he's got a job on. <laughs> My, was it you who were saying to me last night that we were laughing when we were sort of all um, mm. miserable about watching Leeds? He said, ah, at least when I saw Sheffield Wednesday. Spent ages getting out of that league. All the playoff dramas of last year, that comeback, all for nothing. What was the point Absolutely of it? waste of time. I mean, I suppose you, <laughs> now you've, got miserable. The, you've got the memories. I would love to know, though, what the what the, the vision is for a coach going in there at the moment, what the grand plan is or what they think this is going to lead to, given that you... A sacking, probably. Well, but isn't that it? You know, either you're going to deliver a miracle of sorts or you're going to get relegated. So are you thinking to yourself... Well, you know, they're a sort of pretty big club Wednesday, a good club to, to get involved in, get them out of League One and then go again. It seems a little bit, it seems, to go back to what Michael was saying, it seems looking a bit too far down the road, really, given that if they're still on three points in two months' time, it's going to be pretty tough. 
Barry Bannon's hair won't survive another relegation. <laughs> he can't go bald thrice. Thrice. That's how I feel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we haven't actually spoken properly about Huddersfield, have we? They are 21st at the minute. They are the team that is uh, just outside the, the relegation spots. Um, you've got Rotherham down there, QPR, and Wednesday. Um, Rotherham in their sort of perpetual uh, cycle of coming up and then hovering around the relegation places and then going down and then coming back up again and uh, QPR have been terrible. They looked awful at Ellen Road. And yeah, Sheffield Wednesday, as we just touched on. So um, Huddersfield are the next the next worst. You know um, you know, Vyman at Bristol City? Yeah. I'm going to raise you with Jordan Rhodes at Huddersfield. He hasn't played. Hasn't the game yet. But um, I know he hasn't been there for 100 years, but it seems like he has. Have they been playing John Stead instead of him? <laughs> I feel like he's probably still there as well. Huddersfield in their 13 of 1-3, drawn 5, lost 5. Um, minus 10 goal difference as well. So they do concede goals. They're yeah. the second highest in the division just behind QPR. Yeah, they've taken a couple of patients. They got beaten heavily by Norwich as well. Not a great start down at down at um, Plymouth. I think they're already in that um, mindset, aren't they, of get the points together, stay up, have another crack next summer. So it sounds like a really obvious question and there's probably an obvious answer for it, but what, lead, what do Leeds need to do then in this game on Saturday lunchtime? Well, win it would be... Start well? Oh, most, yeah, why not? Because yeah. if we don't... I've been advised to start badly. Well, because I look at Stoke as a team that were down there prior to the start of this fixture on Wednesday, similar sort of part of the table. Huddersfield, excuse me, Huddersfield are 21st, Stoke were 20th. So it's, it's got a similar sort of flavour to it. Like we should go out there and take charge of this game. And it is different being at Ellen Road at home compared to a wet Wednesday night in Stoke, as the cliche goes. But do we need to come out of the blocks and look like we're dominating in that game from the, from the outset just to give confidence to the crowd? Yeah, and I think there need to be changes to the team. Some of what went on at Stoke last night seemed to give some quite obvious messages about what I think you would, if he's fit, you would be getting Somerville back into into that side. I would suggest that Kamara back into the midfield might be an idea. It's very possible, I suppose, that Farker will want to try and play Groove into some form quickly. Um, and it would not be a bad thing for that to happen because, again, then you, you, you've got a clutch of midfielders who you know are kind of on it and, and who you can... You can trust, and he's he's a bit the kind of unknown, really. Gruev, isn't he? We've not seen much of him yet. Um, not quite sure how he's gonna how he's gonna match up um, to the championship. And as I say, you would assume that with Archie Gray, there has to come a point where you say, right, you know, just have a a step out of the team, and you do have Ailing there, Shackleton as well. I don't think Spence will be fit for this, um, but yeah, changes. I would imagine. Yeah, Archie Gray looked a little bit leggy. On Wednesday, didn't he? He felt like he's been the last couple of games. Actually, it feels like he's been targeted a bit as well. Yeah. So maybe just yeah, give him a, give him a break. There were occasional moments against Stoke when he was trying to turn out of trouble down by his own corner flag, and you were you were almost watching him play as a midfielder, but in a really yeah. deep right back position, mm-hmm. like trying to beat the man or cut inside. And you're thinking, actually, on occasions, it's worth doing Erasmus Christensen and just pumping it down the line. It's yeah. never worth doing Erasmus Christensen. <laughs> ideally, Do not to, ideally, watch to any videos of Erasmus Christensen. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the choice of Gray against Bristol City was really clever because the matchup worked for Leeds and it did take out a, a big asset of theirs and, and a kind of key weapon. I think what you want to avoid is then falling into the trap of thinking that'll just work indefinitely because it worked on that one day. It's not that it's that, a very Leeds thing to do, it's though. Not, isn't it's it? not that Gray's been been bad, I don't think, in, in that position. But it the, the energy levels definitely seem like they're the flagging a little bit. I think it's just unfortunate that if Spence hadn't got injured, you know fine well that he'd be in that position now um, yeah. and probably playing pretty well. Uh, and it's going to be a little while yet before before we see him properly. Yeah, and it'd be nice to see Archie back in midfield. I think that's yeah. the other side to this because by putting him at right back, you lose him in the middle and he's been great. Um, one to watch then for the Huddersfield game. What's the issue player 
um, topic that we should keep an eye on, do you reckon? I'm going to say Luke Ayling volley. Luke Ayling volley. Um, let's see if we get a penalty and let's see what happens, particularly if Piddle's off the pitch. Mm. Well, I think we know it won't be Patrick Bamford then, based on the comments uh, of no, Wednesday. I don't think so. I would imagine possibly Somerville, given that Somerville seemed dead keen to take it, um, you would suggest that he's been kind of setting himself I would just I would urge Patrick Bamford if he plays at any point on Saturday and happens to score don't cup your ear to the crowd don't do the, the rabbity mouth hand thing just just enjoy the moment I think like you say it feels like there's, there's this tension built up of one trying to prove something against the other we all just need to come together in, yeah, the, in think, the circle of trust and hold hands I think especially because the season's going pretty well you know I know I, I know it's, I know people don't like to hear that after a game like last night, but as the the whole picture, it has the direction gone, of travel is better. I think isn't it? the direction yeah. of travel is yeah. decent, so it's not as if it's like last season where it just feels like kill everybody. You know, it's not it's not like that, and it would be really unfortunate. I think and I don't think Farke would want this at all. I mean, managers just don't. But it'd be really unfortunate if you had a point of conflict and a problematic point of conflict in a season that to this point has kind of taken pretty good shape I don't think it helps anybody I don't think it needs to be like that I think it would do everybody a favour to look at what's in front of them and say listen penalties come as somebody else I mean as I say yes the misses um, you know the, the circumstances in which they keep happening with the pressure on him is a problem but actually his overall record with penalties isn't good enough Home win Go on Michael mm, Yeah it should be it should be, but like last night should have been an away win, yep. shouldn't it? Based on form and stuff. But yeah. we see that sometimes this just goes out the window. I'll say that as well. Should be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute pair of cowards. <laughs> Home win! <laughs> we'll see how it all went and we'll uh, we'll get back together on Monday and have a chat, you and I, Phil, and uh, and look forward to us uh, climbing the table. Like, well, I can't climb the table, can we? Because we're miles adrift of it, switch, <laughs> but start to close the gap. Or cling on at least. Yeah, Cling on by the fingernails. Well, maybe that's all it takes just for now until that gap starts to shorten. We play them later in the season get another three points, beat Leicester twice, all that good stuff that's to come. <laughs> right, we'll catch up with you uh, after the weekend. The Square Ball Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.